Welcome to the Vida Abundante SoundCloud page. Look us up on Facebook under Vida Abundante Cicero or follow us on Instagram under Vida Abu. Colossians chapter 4, we've been going through the book of Colossians verse by verse and we have reached the final part of the epistle. This is uh, what's often called the benediction or or the final greeting of Paul to the church in Colossae. And here's what it says, chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. The actual Greek word there is fellow slave. Uh, Verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked and worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea in the Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Now, before you get freaked out, I am not going to be exegeting all of these verses. The focus of this morning will be verses 7 through 9, and we're going to look at three characters, Paul being one of them, along with Tychicus and Onesimus. And just so you are familiar with who these brothers are, Tychicus is first mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. As you've learned already, Paul does three missionary journeys. And in his third and final missionary journey, Paul goes to Asia Minor and he meets fellow brothers in the faith. And one of them happens to be Tychicus. He is from Asia Minor, which means not only do we get this from his name, but also from where he is located. He's Greek. And upon meeting Paul on his third missionary journey, Tychicus, as Acts 20 verse 4 lets us know uh, and on, goes with Paul to Troas. It is believed that Tychicus also will travel with Paul all the way to Jerusalem when they take the collections. You you hear about collections being uh, taken up in a lot of the Gentile churches in Ephesus and in Galatia and in many other parts, and they're taking this collection to Jerusalem, and it is believed that Tychicus also will go with Paul to Jerusalem. In 2 Timothy 4.12, we learn that 
he is sent to the church of Ephesus as probably an elder or to help lead the Ephesian church. And in Titus 3.12, Paul is also planning to either send Tychicus or Artemis to Crete to take place of Titus as an elder. And again, that's in Titus chapter 3, verse 12. The point here in this brief introduction is while we don't get a lot about Tychicus' life, in other words, it's not like Timothy or it's not like Titus where you get a whole letter dedicated to him, we do get enough of Tychicus in the New Testament to know that he's a fellow servant of the Lord like Paul. He's someone that Paul trusts, and I'll get more to that in a minute, on what it means for someone to take a letter representing someone else. So it's not like your modern-day mailman, like what we're used to today. Oh, well, he's just a mailman. No, Tychicus is much more than just your neighborhood mailman. And likewise, Onesimus, a few comments on him and who he is. Onesimus is an interesting term because it is a common uh, name given to slaves. And so while I believe that this is, in fact, his actual name, many slaves were called Onesimus because in Greek the very term means useful. So Onesimus in some ways is not a lazy slave but a useful slave. So his name is Onesimus. Uh, it is most likely that this is the same Onesimus that Paul writes about in the letter to Philemon. And so I want to give you a little bit of background here on the letter of Philemon so we can understand who Onesimus is. Onesimus is a former slave of Philemon who when you read the book of Philemon, for whatever reason, he flees from him or leaves him and eventually gets imprisoned. In Philemon, verse 10, we learn that Paul evangelizes Onesimus in prison and actually calls him my child in the faith, who I beget or who I became father of in prison. And it is in this letter that we find out that Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, but he's asking Philemon to receive him not as a former slave or to not receive him or be angry or mad or anything else that you want to add to that, or, or to have resentment against Onesimus for leaving him, but rather to receive him as one in the faith. It is these two characters that teach us much about the life of Paul and his ministry. You see that Paul is not alone in his final days. He is with fellow brothers and sisters. And in the context of Colossians, we learned a couple of weeks ago the importance to pray. And we learn why we should pray. And we also learn that Paul asked for prayer to proclaim the gospel. Last week, Pastor Jonathan walked us through the remaining verses of 5 and 6 to emphasize the importance of us in preaching the gospel to non-believers and taking the gospel to those who don't know anything about Christ. And in the same fashion almost, what we'll see here is that this is exactly what these men do. They're gospel carriers. They're men who not only are in fellowship with one another, but they have one thing in common, which is Christ. And so the title of my message this morning is, In Him, Christian Fellowship in Christ. The series title overall is In Him, but I want to emphasize Christian fellowship in Christ, which in some ways is a, 
an oxymoron. Obviously, if we are to be having Christian fellowship, it should be in Christ. And yet, I would ask you to think about how many times when you gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ, is Christ actually the subject of your conversation or the subject of your lifestyle or the subject of the things that you talk about and discuss and do life with. See, Tychicus and Onesimus aren't just people that know Paul. They have one thing in common. It's Christ. That's what brought them together. That's what has made Paul trust Tychicus so much. That's what's made Paul call Onesimus his beloved brother and faithful brother in the faith. It is this reason why these characters introduce so much. So look at the three adjectives to describe Tychicus in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I want to talk to you about the first phrase here, a beloved brother. In verse 7, Paul says of Tychicus, he is my beloved brother. Now, Tychicus is not Paul's biological brother. They aren't related biologically. He's not a literal brother in that sense. In fact, in most of Paul's epistles and letters, the word or the term uh, beloved brother is a term of endearment for Paul. In fact, Paul calls all Christians brothers and sisters in the faith. So Tychicus is one of these beloved brothers in the faith for Paul. As mentioned in the introduction, Tychicus meets Paul. He meets him during his third missionary journey, which means since Paul's third missionary journey, Tychicus has been traveling with him. And the evidence for that is that he appears in a lot of Pauline's final letters as the one who will take the letters. This means that Tychicus is with Paul when he's arrested in Jerusalem, and yet still Tychicus stays with him. It means that when Paul is in court before rulers and government officials, it is most probable that Tychicus is there during those trials. It is probable that Tychicus is with Paul. Many uh, scholars and commentators agree on this, that it is most likely that Tychicus was with Paul during Paul's shipwreck on his way to Rome. And if you read Corinthians and how Paul says, I, I was hungry and, 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 and all the things that he suffered, it is most likely that Tychicus is also there with him going through this journey with Paul. And obviously here we see that Paul is in prison and there is faithful Tychicus with Paul in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but I have had the experience of having relatives and friends get locked up for different reasons. I won't get into why that is. Um, but the most that I've ever done, and this is why it's challenging for me, is I'll do one visit. And maybe, depending on the relationship, write letters back and forth and so on. But here, Tychicus isn't just like, hey, Paul, how are you doing? Oh, man, you know, we're praying for you later. No, he's with Tychicus. I'm sorry, he's with Paul the whole time of his imprisonment. And this is probably why Paul says he is a beloved brother to me. The term brother 
is often used in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs. Antiochus meets this type of brotherly love that we see in the book of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. I'm going to read this to you. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Given that Tychicus has been with Paul during these hardships and is with Paul in prison during his imprisonment, clearly Tychicus meets this standard given to us in Proverbs. He is a, a brother, a friend who loves Paul at all times. He is faithful in some ways to Paul, but I don't want you to lose the why he's faithful to Paul. It's because they have Christ in common. And I'll get to that in a second. Proverbs 18, 24, on friendship, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is, in fact, what Paul means by describing Tychicus as a beloved brother. He is as close as a brother. And yet Proverbs reminds us of what friendship truly is. In our culture, we define friendship by a number. By the number of friends we have on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat. To us, friendship is a number. I have a thousand friends on Facebook. No, you don't. You don't know half those people. They're not truly your friends. You don't really talk to most of your friends. And that's why the proverb warns us that to boast in the amount of friends can lead to ruin. But what we should really think about is who are the fellow brothers, the beloved brothers who are close to us? It is better not to have many companions but a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And again, here Tychicus meets this requirement. He is a beloved brother to Paul. He is someone that sticks close to Paul. And we see this throughout his journeys with Paul. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. The ESV says, and one man sharpens another. But the Hebrew term here helps us a lot in what this phrase really means. The, the, the phrase is pane reahu, and the actual translation or the literal translation would be iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens the face, and picture that imagery, as one man sharpens the face of his friend. This is talking to us about Christian maturity and how in the faith we sharpen one another, and Tychicus is sharpening Paul, and Paul is sharpening Tychicus. They are maturing together in the faith. The point that I want you to see here is Tychicus is a close friend of Paul, but he's also much more than that. It's not, this passage is not about simply just who your close friends are, and I don't want to communicate that because that's not what this is about. And we see this in verse 9. Onesimus is also called a faithful and beloved brother. And yet, unlike Tychicus, Onesimus has not been with Paul throughout his journey. Onesimus, uh, or, or Onesimus, sorry, has not been with with Paul since his third missionary journey. He hasn't been through any shipwrecks. As we learn in Philemon 1.10, Paul evangelizes him in prison. 
which means he's known Paul for a very short amount of time, and yet he calls Onesimus beloved brother. Why? Because Christianity is not defined by the amount of years we claim to know Christ. It's defined by our faithfulness to Christ. Do you see that? It's not, I've been a Christian my whole life, therefore I am faithful to Christ. No, because as you all know, as I know, we can go to church daily and not be faithful to Christ. And yet both Onesimus and Tychicus are called beloved brothers. This speaks more than just, oh, he's been my homeboy for a long time. What it speaks of is who they're faithful to. Why does Paul consider Onesimus a faithful and beloved brother? The reason is because like Tychicus, Onesimus has stood side by side with Paul for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. In other words, if our call is to fellowship in Christ, then one thing that should be clear in our relationships and in our friendships is Christ. He should be the foundation of our relationships. It should be evident that this person is my beloved brother because we have Christ in common. See, this is more than just I've known him for so long or I, I've known her for so long. The, the lining or the underlining factor here is Onesimus is a beloved brother because he proclaims Christ. And he suffered with Paul in prison because of Christ. And Tychicus is the beloved brother, not because he's journeyed along with uh, Paul and every so often Facebook memories come up about their journeys together. That's not why Tychicus is called a beloved brother. It's because they have Christ in common. They know what it's like to suffer for the sake of Christ. Again, our call is to fellowship with one another in Christ. We get to the second description, faithful servant. In verse 7, Tychicus is called faithful servant. In verse 9, Onesimus is only called faithful, and I'll explain in a second why. Tychicus, as we have seen, has been faithful to Paul throughout his Ministry and Onesimus has been faithful in the proclamation of the gospel with Paul. They've been imprisoned because of it, but they will also be faithful to Paul in delivering this letter. And here it is important for us to understand how Greeks delivered letters and what that actually means. The New Testament scholar Michael Gorman writes ancient practices of Letter delivery suggests that whoever took a letter to say Corinth was also responsible for, and he says a lot of things, but here's what I want to focus on. They were responsible for not just the reading of the letter, but also some oral and, in quotations, performance of it. In other words, what Michael Gorman goes on to point out is that during the Greek times, a lot of people were illiterate, meaning they couldn't read. And so oftentimes the same people that took letters to the churches or, or people that delivered letters in general in the time of Greece were also responsible for reading 
the letter out loud for everyone to, to hear it, especially if so-and-so didn't know how to read. Now think about the trust here. If no one knows how to read, could Tychicus have changed Paul's letter? Yes. Who's going to know it? Nobody. And I'm not saying that people in the Colossian church didn't know how to read, but I want to understand that these guys were not your ordinary mailmen. They were trustworthy people, meaning that in the time of Greece, when someone delivered a letter, the very person that's sending the letter is vouching for the trustworthiness of the one delivering it, of the one that might be asked to read it, of the one that might be asked to clarify some things. And in the New Testament, Tychicus won't just deliver this letter, he'll deliver three more. He delivers the letter to the Ephesian church and Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. He most likely delivers the letter to Philemon. And here in Colossians 4, 16, we read of another letter, the letter to Laodicea, which a lot of, again, scholars and theologians all agree that it is most likely Tychicus who delivered that letter. Now, we don't have this letter. It's never been found or, or excavated, but we know that it exists because the scriptures let us know that Paul wrote a letter to the church in Laodicea. And again, this is in Colossians 4, 16. So Tychicus will be faithful along with Onesimus to take this letter. You see the trust that Paul has in Tychicus to take this letter. But he'll also be responsible for two more things. Look at verse 8 with me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. So Tychicus is not only a faithful servant in delivering the letter, but he is to tell the people how Paul is doing. Tychicus will tell the Colossian church what Paul is going through, how things are going while he is in prison. And again, obviously most of it can't be good news because he's in prison. But yet, he will tell the Colossian church some things that are not in the letter that Paul wants Tychicus to, to tell them. At the same time, he's sending Tychicus so that he can encourage their hearts. And here, it probably is because of Nero's persecution. Remember, the church is being persecuted constantly through people that are in Rome that do not like Christianity, that do not like the faith. And so in this persecution, it is most likely Tychicus who will have to encourage their hearts or comfort their hearts. At the same time, it could be because they're worried about Paul. And so some of the messages that Tychicus will tell of Paul might be comforting to their hearts. Yet, if you remember in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, you can turn there with me, but because of sake of time, I will just read it to you. That their hearts may be encouraged or comforted, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. This is the same Greek word in Colossians 2, verse 2, that we find in chapter 4, verse 8, that they may be encouraged. This lets us know that Paul also wants the letter itself and the exhortations that we've learned about in the letter and the admonitions that we've learned about in the letter to also bring comfort to them. 
So Tychicus, again, is a faithful servant, not just in taking the letter, but in being the one to tell the people how Paul is doing and also in being the one to encourage their hearts. And in verse 9, we see that both Tychicus and Onesimus, here's what the passage says, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. While Tychicus will be the main one speaking, Onesimus is also being sent to verify everything that has taken place. Now again, think about this. Paul is locked up. What could possibly be taking place in prison? Yeah, well, you know, Paul at 9 in the morning gets up, writes a little, goes eat, writes a little more, suffers here and there. You know, what, what is there much to say? And yet, despite that horrible description of what Paul might be doing in prison, the letter itself lets us know what Paul is doing. A couple of weeks ago, Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul asked for prayer for this one thing. Here's what it says. And at the same time, pray also for us, us who are in prison, uh, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. This letter gives us the heart of Paul. Everywhere Paul went, he's preaching the gospel. If he's in prison, he's preaching the gospel. If he's in a shipwreck, he's preaching the gospel. If he lands after a shipwreck in a strange city, what is Paul doing? Preaching the gospel. Why does Tychicus and Onesimus need to let the people know everything that's happened in Paul's imprisonment because Paul's still preaching. And as we've learned, already a slave has converted in Onesimus through Paul's preaching in prison. In other words, Paul isn't in prison counting his last days saying, oh God, this really sucks. This sucks to be a Christian. No, he's being a faithful servant to Christ, preaching the gospel wherever he's at. I can't help but realize that Paul, Tychicus, and Onesimus exemplify the words of Jesus in regard to being a servant. Here are some examples of Jesus talking about servanthood in the New Testament. In Matthew 23, 11, when Jesus explains to his disciples that the Pharisees desire prestigious titles, they like to be recognized. He says to them, but the greatest among you will be your servant. Now, think about that characteristic and think about Paul. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has a high ranking, if you want to put it that way, in the church. And yet, he's a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ. All of Paul's ministry isn't, hey, look at me, I'm this super mega awesome apostle. No, Paul's attitude is the opposite, serving the churches, serving others, giving his life for the cause of Christ. Look at another example, John 12, 26. Jesus says this, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Is this not Paul's life? Going wherever Christ calls him to go, preaching wherever he can preach Tychicus along with him and Onesimus, again, a faithful slave, a, a, a prisoner with Paul, not backing down, proclaiming the gospel. Is this not a definition of who these men are? They are faithful 
to the Lord, following, following the Lord, following Christ wherever they go. And perhaps the closest in English that we get to this phrase is found in Matthew 25, 21, and 23 in the parable of the talents, where Jesus, being the master, says these men are good and faithful servants. You're a good and faithful slave because they produce fruit to what Jesus has asked them to do. That is the lesson of the parable. Paul has produced fruit in his ministry in proclaiming the gospel. Tychicus, a, a fellow a servant of Paul, has also produced fruit by sending these letters along with Onesimus and making sure that the churches get these teachings. These men are faithful servants, but make no mistake about it. They're not faithful servants of Paul. Yes, they're serving Paul, and yes, they're helping Paul, but again, the common denominator here is they're faithful servants of Christ. That is the underlying factor here, that in serving Paul, these men understand that they're serving Christ. Yes, they love Paul. Yes, Paul is their homeboy, but the one thing they all have in common is Christ, which helps us understand what should our Christian fellowship relationship look like? Should we not be serving one another in Christ? Should we not be able to depend on one another by serving one another in Christ? Our Christian fellowship, our Christian relationship should point back to Christ. Our conversation should be rooted in Christ. Think about this. Things that we can do as Christians that we cannot do when non-Christians pray together. At least not in an effective way. You can do it with non-Christians, but it might not be as effective as someone who actually knows God. Read the scriptures together. Journey in the faith together. We can go through hardships in Christ together. Paul did it. And he's a perfect example of going through struggles or hardships, but fellowshipping at the same time with brothers and sisters in the faith, in Christ. We are to serve one another in Christ. We are to serve, again, one another in Christ. Paul is serving the church in Christ, and Tychicus and Onesimus are serving Paul, but in Christ. Again, I want to emphasize the theme here isn't just how can we have close friendships because you don't need the Bible to necessarily teach you that. You can learn that in culture. The point here is in our fellowship is Christ our common denominator. When I think about the fellowship that I have with people most intimate to me, are we all in Christ? I want you to think about that. For Tychicus, for Onesimus, and for Paul, the underlying factor of their friendship, their relationship, their fellowship is Christ. Now, look at the final phrase here. In verse 7, this is not said of Onesimus. But in verse 7, we get the final attribute or the final description of Tychicus. He is a fellow the ESV says servant, but in reality, the word in Greek is doulos. It only and always means slave. He is a fellow slave. 
in the Lord. And that is the emphasis here. It is in the Lord. He is a beloved brother in the Lord. He is a faithful servant in the Lord. Again, it's Christ, it's Christ. And he is a fellow slave in the Lord. The term means fellow laborer or worker. In other words, I disagree with some commentators who want to say, well, Tychicus is just a delivery boy or a messenger boy of Paul. No, he is not because Paul himself puts them in the same ranking or in the same category. He, like me, are fellow bond slaves, our fellow bond servants. We are fellow slaves to the Lord. If you remember earlier in the letter, Paul rebukes masters who treat their slaves wrongly for forgetting that they themselves are slaves in the Lord. In fact, all of us who claim to be Christians, we are not masters. We are not at the top. The very idea of being a Christian is we all submit to God. We all submit to Christ and his authority. We all submit to the will of the Spirit. In other words, none of us are masters. None of us are in charge of our own lives. We are under submission of Christ. And Paul says of Tychicus, he's not just a messenger. He's not just someone delivering a letter. He is a fellow slave in the Lord. He's giving Tychicus importance that the culture in that day would have not in some ways. Paul is saying, Tychicus is not my slave. He is the Lord's slave, just like I am the Lord's slave. They are both slaves of Christ. Now that is important to understand. And yet, before you say, well, your sermon is ruined because Onesimus doesn't get the same description, so it can't be about fellowshipping in Christ, I want you to remember that in the introduction, I said Onesimus was a slave. And this shows us Paul's wisdom in writing this letter that although he calls Onesimus faithful, he does not add the term servant like he does to Tychicus. And he, instead of saying uh, Onesimus is a fellow bond slave or a fellow slave in the Lord, he completely omits that and says he's one among you. Now why? Because Paul in his wisdom does not want the church in Colossae to think that Onesimus is simply a slave. Yes, he's faithful, like Tychicus, but what he doesn't want is for Onesimus to arrive and for the people to read this letter and say, oh, here's our slave again, go do our errands, and to be treated as a slave. The very term, one among you, here has two different, two, two meanings, I'm sorry. One is literal. He is literally from Phrygia which is in Colossae. He is a, a native of Colossae. He's from there. That is his birthplace. That is where he is from. But one of you is also referring to he is a fellow believer. Now, while Paul doesn't use the, use the term a fellow slave, the same characteristic applies. He is one of you. Receive him as such, as a beloved brother, as a faithful servant, as a slave of Christ, Paul is emphasizing here that Tychicus is not simply a messenger boy and Onesimus is not simply the same old slave the Colossians knew prior to his arrest. He has now found Christ in prison 
and therefore should be treated as one of you, as a beloved brother in Christ. Now, how many times would it help for us if in our Christian fellowship, before we gossip about someone, before we bash somebody, before we talk bad about somebody behind their back, that we would remember that they are our beloved brother and sister in Christ, that they are faithful servants in Christ, that they are slaves like us, co-laborers in Christ. This omission by Paul reminds us of the power of the gospel in saying that Onesimus is not a fellow slave so that the Colossians wouldn't be confused, but rather just simply one of us. He is a Christian, and it reminds me of the power of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In Christ, we are a new creation. Here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The point that I want to make here is that Onesimus can no longer be seen simply as a slave. He's found Christ. I love the illustration that Paul Washer gives on this passage. I think it sums up a lot of what we've learned today. Paul Washer on this passage says, if a man is walking across the street and gets hit by a semi-truck, he won't get hit by the semi-truck and get up and go, oh, that, that really sucked, that hurt and keep walking. No, Paul Washer says that man will be changed. He will be physically changed. He will be emotionally changed, psychologically changed, uh, uh, spiritually changed, and it's the same thing with the Christian. No man encounters Christ, no woman encounters Christ, and then goes on living the same way. Sin is different when the Christian encounters Christ. There is real conviction. We don't continue practicing sin. We don't continue in the same ways. When someone encounters Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he, she is a new creation. And Paul wants the church in Colossians to know Onesimus is a new creature in Christ. He is very much different than the slave that they once knew. Galatians 3.28 there is no distinction in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free. There is no male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no hierarchy in the Christian faith. We are either in Christ or we are in something else. And again, Paul wants the Colossian church to know this of Onesimus. He is one of you. He is a Christian, not just a former Colossian slave, but a Christian. And finally, in Christ, there is no condemnation. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is much of the reason why Paul writes a letter to Philemon. Don't condemn him because he is one of you. He is a brother in the faith. He is a slave of Christ, just like Tychicus is a slave of Christ, and just like Paul is a slave of Christ. In Christ, we have no distinctions. In Christ, there is no condemnation. And Onesimus can go back to the church of Colossae free from condemnation because, again, the one thing all three have in common is Christ. That is what strengthens their fellowship. It is Christ Jesus. 
So in conclusion, what we learn here from Paul is, yes, clearly he's not alone. You'll learn this more next week as more names that I've already read will be explained. He's not alone. Yes, he has people in the ministry, but the reason why he has beloved brothers and faithful servants and slaves is because they are all in the Lord. I don't want you to get this confused. Our call as Christians is not just to fellowship. This is a problem in the modern day church. You hear a lot about fellowshipping and let's do groups on, on, on football. And so we'll watch Monday night football. That's good. That's fine. I'm not necessarily against that. But we're not called just to fellowship. We're called to fellowship in Christ. You see the difference. Anyone can gather together and fellowship. The world does that beautifully. Look at the, the schools, chess club, checkers club, whatever club, knitting club. I mean, it, it just hits everywhere. The world knows how to fellowship. The church isn't just called simply to gather together and fellowship. Christ should be the reason why we fellowship. So when we gather together, and in the people that we consider close friends, I pray and hope that Christ is the common denominator. It's been helpful to me to be a husband of a wife who is in Christ, to be surrounded by other husbands who are in Christ. It's been helpful to me to be a father of a wife who is in Christ, but also to be a, surrounded by other fathers that are in Christ, some in the same facet as me and others way ahead of me. That's been a blessing. It's been a blessing to do life with brothers and sisters in the faith in Christ. And I hope that it is a blessing for you as well. Again, we are not just called to have fellowship. We are called to have fellowship in Christ. Let us stand up and let us pray together this morning. Lord Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone in this room and I pray that as we continue to grow as a church and that as we continue to be faithful witnesses and proclaimers of your truth to a world that does not know you, that we would also establish genuine friendships, not just of people who know each other and know about each other, but that we would establish fellowship in Christ, that we would not walk alone in this journey, but also that we would be wise on who we walk with. And I pray that as we grow as an English service, that we would meet one another and find that our most common denominator in everything that we do, despite all of our differences, is that we love you and serve you and belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. May give Jesus a round of applause. We we'll hope to see you next Sunday.